All right. Well, now we'll enter into our time of instruction where God speaks to us through his word. Uh, this morning, Pastor Greg's going to be leading us uh, through Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 14. And uh, if you will follow along, Lainey's going to read that passage and pray with us as uh, we begin. A good name is better than precious ointment in the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot... So is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for this day that we were able to come together, and I pray that you would open our hearts and ears to you this morning. I pray that you would guide our hearts and actions in the way of the wise, and give Greg wisdom as he preaches, and use him for your work. Bless this gathering and the people who are here in person as well as online. I also pray for the situation in Ukraine. I pray that you would make your presence known, and that you would give comfort and wisdom at this time to people in Ukraine and across the world. God, you made the day of joy and the day of adversity, and I pray you would give us trust in your plan at this time. Thank you for your many blessings. Amen. Thank you, Lainey. Thank you, worship team. <clears throat> Glad to be with you guys today and uh, rejoice in God's word to us. I assure you that uh, though death and mourning and the house of mirth is quickly is discussed much, we will talk about joy. Um, so be assured of that. Kids, you can be dismissed um, to your classes if you so choose to do that, and uh, you will have loving and caring and instructive volunteers back there. All right, um, you'll find out later what that is. All right, so we're, gonna, um, we're just going to jump in. So we're in Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, uh, quote-unquote, the wisest man that ever lived other than Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Um, and so we're going to uh, look at what Solomon has to say and then um, see what Jesus has to say and see how even what the world has to say and how that instructs and molds and shapes us in the way of wisdom together. Okay, so we're going to um, today is all about this one phrase, your joy in life's adversities because of God's gift. Okay, this is what today is about. This is what this passage is about. Is it? It's about your joy in the midst, in, not other than, but in life's adversities because of God's gift. Okay, 
We can have joy, not only in adversity and in prosperity, but in all of life because of God's gift to us. We're going to start with verse 14. Um, as the text instructs us, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, verse 8. We're going we're gonna to be instructed by verse 14 because this really shapes the whole chapter. Okay? We need to have context of what this is, and then that'll shape how we go through the rest of it. Verse 14, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Solomon is basically saying that in prosperity, it's easy to be joyful. But in the day of adversity, his wisdom is consider, think, reflect, ponder, meditate. And we're going to see in this that we not only can consider, but we can walk in true joy in the midst of even adversity. There is wisdom to be had in adversity. Worship is to be given in adversity. And there is joy in Jesus in adversity. So we're going to look at three things in this idea of joy in adversity because of God's gift to us. We're going to look at a virtuous joy, a contented joy, and a protected joy. First, the virtuous joy. And so you'll see this on the next slide, Todd. Your, uh, the joy, your virtuous joy in life's adversities. Verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4 kind of are joined together that are all about the character of your being. All about looking at death through the eyes of what it means to live a good life. Verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. Okay, so all this, this whole kind of group of verses right here is all about having a good name. And that's better than any riches that one could have. And why is the day of death better than the day of birth? It's because there's fulfillment in the day of death. In the day of death, you know how something lived, and you know whether it was good or not. When, when a child is born, it's, it's all potential. It's like, you're like, man, they kind of look like an alien, but they, like, they kind of look like mom, kind of look like dad, you know, like, we don't really know, and it's, it's all about potential. It's all about what could be, but Solomon is saying that the day of death is sure, and the day of death, you know how someone lived and what their character was like. So that's why it's a gift as we consider our death is how do we want to live? How do we want to live our life? What do we want to be known for? What do you want to be said about your name in the day of your death? Verses 2 and 4 are basically repeated. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Mirth is this, this house of laughter, this house of rejoicing. Basically, Solomon isn't saying, he's not saying don't go to the house of laughter, don't, don't feast, don't rejoice. He's not saying that, okay? Please hear me in that. But he is saying that it is better to go to the house of mourning. It's better to get perspective on all of life than just one sliver of it. In, in, in a day of feasting and rejoicing, we're celebrating one element. And we should do that to the worship and glory of God. 
But in the day of in the day of mourning, we remember a much bigger picture. And so that is why it's better to scoop back a little bit to see there's virtue to be had in the joy of life's adversities and God's gift to us. This is what uh, Michael Easter, he has to say about, um, Michael Easter wrote this book called Comfort Crisis, and, and this is all about uh, the, the comfort of the American way of living. And um, he goes, to, goes uh, around to different wor- parts of the world and, and uh, connects with different researchers, and so he's a very secular guy. Um, but this is what he says in regards to looking at the day of death and how that shapes how we live. Those who think about their own death became more grateful and gratuitous because they realize that all their material goods and status will not matter in the end. A study in psychological science discovered that these people were more likely to show concern for people around them. They did things like donate time, money, and their own blood to blood banks. It works even on the most hardened among us. Another study found found that when Americans and Iranian religious fundamentalists were told to think about the day of their death, they became more peaceful and compassionate toward opposition groups. A team of researchers at Eastern Washington University found that thinking about death enhances gratitude. The scientists wrote that when people think about death, they tend to recognize what might not be and become more grateful for the life they now experience. Fully recognizing one's own mortality may be an important aspect of the humble and grateful person. Perhaps when we recognize that death is a reality we all must face, we we may then realize that life is not only a pleasure, but a kind of eccentric privilege, as the the turn-of-the-century writer G.K. Chesterton put it. Funny, he quotes a Christian. Gratitude has also been shown to reduce anxiety and even ailments like heart disease. That's just a tack-on, you know. We're just going to tack that on there. It can reduce heart disease. I, I, it was an interesting way of writing. But, but, but there's, a, there's this reality of like in the world that we live in, we value this, this scientific data, right? And, and my, my intent in this is to show you that, that Solomon in, you know, uh, we'll say 1100 B.C., uh, was, was displaying this reality by the wisdom of God that thinking about one's death affects your life, that you live more, not just gratefully, but, but givingly, but, but in love and in compassion and joy to others. Though the adversity of death is what ah, makes us struggle, we don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about, um, you know, what, what, what's going to happen. We don't, we don't want to think about the pain involved in that. We don't want to think about the, the challenges of that. But, but Solomon is saying that, that we, can, we can recognize the adversity because there can be joy and worship and virtue in the midst of it. Jesus said it this way in Luke 9. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Jesus builds on the wisdom of Solomon. He declares that we are to take up our cross daily. Jesus doesn't just say, think about your death. He says, consider the most gruesome, horrific, and suffering death imaginable. In typical Jesus fashion, he just ups the ante, right? He just like continues to make it harder. But he says, deny yourself and take up your cross daily. For whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to live a joyful life, he will lose it. So Jesus says, you want to live? You got to first die. And recognize that you will die. And take up your cross of suffering. Jesus is offering us an invitation. In our Western comfort idealism, we don't recognize the invitation that Jesus gives to us. And I'll be building upon what that invitation is. But in this, Jesus is offering us an invitation into his way of life. Because he was the one who took up the cross first. He was the one who was born to die. And so Jesus offers us a profitable life, a life in which we not only gain the world, but life eternal. This was uh, a gift to me. I don't know if you can see it. It's on the screen if you can't see it. Deny yourself and take up your cross daily, Luke 9, 23. We just read that. Coincidence. And um, <clears throat> this was uh, a gift by my beloved, Becca. And um, she got this, she made this for me um, by the work of her own hands when we were in high school. And uh, this was my theme when we met, Okay. Can you imagine an 18-year-old kid who's like, deny yourself and take up your cross? That was me, okay? I didn't have very many friends at the time, and Becca was, <laughs> Becca was gracious to me in that season of my life. But, uh, but, but the, the reason I love the, the passage in Luke, uh, different than the other Gospels, is because Jesus says it, the one word differently, and he says daily in Luke. That, that daily reality of a choice, that daily confrontation of how am I going to live today? What will be said of my name today? Will I live with virtue in Jesus today? The truth is from Romans chapter 6 that, that we have the reality that Jesus invites us into his death and baptism. The beginning of the Christian life is one that we embrace. The life of sin, the life of rebellion against God, and we put it to death. And Jesus says, in that, you are united with me. You are buried. Do you not know, verse 3, that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, by him, with him, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was not just put to death, but what's the word? Crucified. It was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who's died has been set free from sin. Jesus' invitation to us is to be identified with him. It is to be united with him in his death. And what does Jesus give us in that? He gives us his name. He gives us a good name that Solomon wants us to live by. The wisdom of Solomon is good. Yes, live in the light of your death and you'll live differently. But Jesus says, you want to have a good name? I'll give you the most righteous name when you identify yourself with me. Not in your own living, but in my living. That you would have newness of life in me. I was reading the other day that um, <clears throat> historically uh, and in grammatically as we read the scriptures, the reality of baptism is one in which uh, we really should hold someone under the water for probably a good you know, 10 seconds, as long as they can hold it. We don't do that very often because there's kind of like this, like, are they going to come up? You know, and, we, and sometimes we joke uh, that it's like, man, you know, maybe we should just hold people longer, you know, and they'll, they'll follow Jesus to the end. Um, but the reality is that, that that idea of immersion, that idea of being, of literally going into the grave and being entombed, because when you're raised, you have a different identity. You have a di identity in Jesus the King. So we not only live with virtue in our joy, as we face life's adversities, but we also are contented in our joy. Verses 5 through 10 are kind of joined together, and uh, I'm going to brief comment on verses 5 and 6 first, and then we'll kind of breeze through the rest there. Um, it's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. <clears throat> Let me say that in Greg's words. It's better to be confronted by a godly person than to be praised by everyone else. We don't like the idea of rebuke. We like the song of someone can sing my song of praise. But the idea of rebuke, even within the, the realms of Scripture, is that of a gift. It is a gift, as Proverbs 27 would say, to hear the, uh, the rebuke of an enemy. What's that verse in Proverbs 27, Todd? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but pro pro profuse are the kisses of an enemy. When a friend wounds you, you can trust that. In Psalm 119, it says it this way. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. We, we sometimes think in, in the church that 
this, the idea of God's love and his kindness and his grace is everlasting, and that means that I'm never going to have any problems in my, my life. And the reality, church, is that God doesn't, quote-unquote, rebuke or afflict us out of evil intent, but he afflicts us to show us the gravity of our sin, to, to show us a new way of life. It is out of love that he does so. Comparatively, the, the crackling of thorns is the song of fools in verse 6 from Ecclesiastes 7, that, that you put thorns in a fire, what are they going to do? They're going to make it really, really hot. It's going to be really warm for about 15 seconds. You're going to have to, like, you, if you're sitting by the fire, you're going to have to take your jacket off, and it's like, oh, man, man, it's really warm. And then the 15 seconds passes, and it's like, oh, man, I'm really cold. I got to really, it's a flash in the pan, flash in the pan, flash in the pan, not lasting. When we were um, <clears throat> camping this summer, one of our, uh, it was very, it was the a dr very dry season, and uh, one of our children lit a stick on fire in the fire pit and was waving it about and went like this and uh, lit a pine tree on fire. <clears throat> and uh, I was in the camper and, uh, and Beck was like, Greg, Greg, Greg. Uh, uh, and I'm like, I didn't know what was going on, but I automatically knew I needed to grab water. Thanks be to God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Intuition with the Holy Spirit. I just grabbed water, and I came out, and it was like, it was starting to curl up the trees, and I just like, you know, and it was one of those moments, I, then I took my knife, and I cut off the branch, because I didn't want the park ranger to know. <laughs> and then my kids asked, why are you doing that, Dad? And I'm like, I'll tell you later. <laughs> uh, the reality of the quickness of how that fire can spread, the, 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 the the praises of the crowd, the praises of fools. Everyone wants to say something good until it gets hard. And then who's left? Ultimately, our Lord is left. And he is the one who sustains us to the end. He disciplines us for our good. Verse 7 uh, looks at this idea that everyone can be bought, that bribe corrupts the heart. Unfortunately, the distraction of money is a reality in our life, and we manufacture joy through it, but it is not a contented joy in adversity. In verse 8, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Those who want something now and being efficient, let's get it now through power and efficiency that is manufactured for a piece of joy versus a joy that is lasting. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, verse 9, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. We, we want to get things done. We manufacture joy by by becoming angry and dominant. And Jesus says, or Solomon says, through the Holy Spirit, that that lodges in our heart until we repent of that into Christ. 
Verse 10, why are, were the former days better than these? This is all about nostalgia, the idea of, man, can't we just manufacture what happened in the past? Can't we just go back 15 years? If I could buy five years ago my house, that would have been a lot better. It would have been better back then. And Solomon is saying, but yet we, we, we think that, that in the past that it would be better, and the reality is God is the one who's consistent and with us, giving, giving us joy throughout all of life. These are the top five regrets of the dying by Bronnie Ware. She was a, she's a nurse that uh, was with those who were dying, and uh, this is what she has to say. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life's, life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends, and I wish I had let myself be happier. These are good lessons from the world in terms of in light of our death, how can we live differently? We don't need to be distracted by the declarations of others, the expectations of others, that we can express who we are. And yet, I even see in this the, the pride and the reality that life is not about you and me. It's not about my happiness or yours. It's about something much grander and bigger and better. And so Jesus says that uh, we can be contented in his joy. In Luke 18, he says it, this about the rich. It is difficult for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Why? They're distracted. They trust in their riches. They have a peace of joy, but they don't have the whole thing, and they can easily miss the reality. Those who heard it said, who then can be saved? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said, we have left our homes and followed you. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says that when you give up your life for him, that you not only gain something now, but later as well. It's kind of like that candy. If I had, you know, if I would have been smart enough, I would have given you all of you now and laters. That now and laters is like, oh, it's the promise of like, man, the sweet taste now and later. Why? Because it lasts for like 10 minutes. Later is 10 minutes. <clears throat> but that's the, the promise of Jesus, that it's not just for 10 minutes. It's, it is a now and it is an everlasting reality. This, uh, this picture of, of deny yourself and take up your cross daily. For me, in that time period in my life, I really struggled um, because in my high challenge nature towards myself, I, I walked in the reality that I had to deny everything. And if, you look at, and if you look at that just in and of itself, that was a perfect representation of me because I said, I have to deny myself, I have to take up my cross, and I have to do this. And I lived with very little joy. I lived with very little joy. 
until I realized that Jesus was the one who did that for me. And that the cross at the top was the instruction that I don't have to deny everything, but that I get to walk in joy and that Jesus corrects me along the way. He does give me the choice to be rebuked by him or not. For I can continue in my endeavors until his grace overwhelms and ultimately even into my death sustains. As Hebrews 12 says it this way, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Jump down to verse 10. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Adversity stinks. Correction stinks. We fully acknowledge that. But Jesus also instructs us by it. He also teaches us a better way by it. And he does it for our good so that we can rejoice in the peaceful fruit of righteousness that we may share his holiness. Adversity leads us to be further united with Christ and be like him. Even in the midst of our challenges, we can have the joy of God's gift in contented, satisfying, everlasting joy in him. Our joy is also protected. The protection, your protected joy in life's adversities because of God's gift. In verses 11 and 12, Solomon is basically saying that that wisdom is good. Wisdom offers protection. It's like protection of money. Like it it protects you in certain circumstances. It's a good thing. It's an advantage to you. It, It can preserve life. It can make life better in certain instances. But in verse 13, again, we see this word, consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In verse 14, what we started with, this reality that in prosperity, be joyful. We can be joyful in the day of abundance. But in, when, in the day of adversity, consider. Solomon's whole point in this is that we are humbled before God, that we don't know what is to come. We don't know what is to happen, but he wants us to trust in our God who is faithful despite our circumstance. And the best that Solomon can do before Christ is say, in adversity, consider God. But we have a different story with Jesus. Jesus declares that we can walk in joy in the midst of our adversity. We can see that the very challenges of our adversity fuel us into joy in 
him. In 1 Peter 1, Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefined, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You hear that protection language, church? That's language that Jesus has purchased something for you, not something that you have attained, not something that you can grasp now, but something that is held, something that is given, something that is secure. Because let's just be honest, if it was up to you and me, we'd screw it up. But Jesus keeps it for us. In verse 5, who, God's pow- who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That adversity does not have the last word. We don't only consider the work of God in the midst of our adversity. We hold on to God and we are being guarded by God in the midst of our adversity. Peter goes on to say, In this you rejoice. In this what? In this reality that you have been given much by Christ, that Christ is guarding your inheritance. In Christ's guarding your inheritance, rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Do adversities and trials stink? Do adversities and trials stink? Yeah. Peter's like, they grieve us. They grieve us. And yet we rejoice in the midst of them so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. Jump down a little ways. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This idea that joy inexpressible. Have you guys ever heard of a marketing ploy which says if you purchase this or if you have this, you'll have joy that is radiant and inexpressible? All the stinking time. All the time. Okay? Um, my eye watch uh, this week just started like fl- flickering the logo, and uh, and then I took it in <clears throat> to the to the Apple Store, and uh, it it redid the like the the error so that like it could like be reproduced in front of this guy. So that was like yes, thank you, Lord. You know, like they can actually see what's going on. And he's like, oh, I can't help you with that. I'm like, but it just did it for you. And he's like, yeah, but I can't help you with that. Do you have Apple Care warranty? And said, uh, I said, no, I, d- I don't. Uh, and he's like, okay, well, um, it's going to be about $300 to uh, see if we can, um, you know, fix the manufacturing on it. I'm like, I got this a year ago. It's just out of warranty. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm sorry. But you could put that $300 towards a new one. <clears throat> I wasn't really frustrated because I really saw it as like, man, this is like God's gift. I was actually the other day thinking, I don't really like 
what do I need this thing for? I'm just attached to Apple all the stinking time. Like, Apple's my savior or something. I'm united with Apple. And, and so I really considered it. I'm like, well, Lord, thank you that you have taught me that uh, I can't depend on watches from Apple. And it doesn't give me inexpressible joy. It doesn't change my life. But Peter is saying, even in the midst of trials, we can be filled with glory and inexpressible joy and rejoice in the midst of grieving trials because of our security in Jesus. As we think about the adversity that we face, the Apple Watch is a great example in America in 2022 in my privileged place. But we have brothers and sisters in Ukraine who are not experiencing the comfort that we do at this moment. So I just want to take a moment um, and pray for the adversity uh, and pray for the joy in the midst of adversity that our brothers and sisters would experience. Would you pray that those believers in Ukraine would be filled with inexpressible joy in the glory of Christ in the midst of adversity? And then I'll pray for us here in a second. This is a prayer, a collect, a a gathering of, of prayers that can be prayed by the church. Almighty God, from whom all thoughts of truth and peace proceed, kindle, we pray, in the hearts of all the true love of peace, and guide with your pure and peaceable wisdom those who take counsel for the nations of the earth, that in tranquility your kingdom may go forward till the earth is filled with the knowledge of your love. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. We do pray for peace in the midst of war. But the whole idea that Solomon is getting at here is that we can recognize the day of our death, and that can shape how we live in virtue. That we can be distracted by the appeals of life, but we don't have lasting joy. And finally, that wisdom is valuable, yet it doesn't answer the question, why? Why do bad things happen? Why does adversity come? Why? And all Solomon says is consider. But let's read this from 1 Corinthians verse chapter 1 that tells us more in light of Christ why God humbles us in the midst of adversity. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
The Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your callings, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Paul has a really nice way of um, kind of being rude. <clears throat> but it's true. We're not wise, my friends. We don't live virtuous lives. We get distracted. That's why we need Jesus to be united with him in his name. Not many of us were powerful. Not many of us were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are, to bring to nothing things that are. Here's the ending. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why does God give us adversity? To humble us. To humble us enough for us to realize that we can not only trust him, but that he is greater than we are. That we cannot boast in his presence. That we cannot boast of our good name. We cannot boast of our riches. We cannot boast of our wisdom. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So that as, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We boast in Jesus and Jesus alone, church. Your joy in life's adversities, full of virtue, full of contentment, full of secure, everlasting joy is because of Jesus. God's gift is Jesus. He meets us in our adversity. He identifies us with us in our adversity. He went before us in adversity. He went before us in our death. He corrects us even today by his kindness. And he secures us so that when death does come knocking, we are found in him forever. To Jesus alone with the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that you are our secure hope. Jesus, thank you for Solomon, that he, by your Holy Spirit, saw the frustration of life, that with all the wisdom, all the power, all the authority, all the distractions, it didn't give lasting joy. It didn't give you a good name, but Lord, that you have given us the name of Jesus. You have said that we are your children. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this valley. As we are still in this season, uh, environmentally even, of a lot of challenge, Lord, would you give us everlasting joy by the Holy Spirit and the comfort of Jesus who identifies with us. For your name's sake, amen.